Hey, welcome back to Think Tech. Uh, I'm Jay Fidel, and today we're going to talk about uh, political campaign financing in Canada uh, here in view from the north with uh, Dr. Ken Rogers. We're going to compare political campaign financing in Canada with uh, with the U.S. and our Citizens United problem, baggage, if you will. Uh, right after this, we'll drill down and find out more. Welcome to the show, Ken. Is This is one of those subjects where there is a significant difference in the way things operate between Canada and the U.S., isn't it? It is, but you really have to start with the idea of, of when you say campaign spending and financing, you know, what do you mean? You know, you've got to sort of define what you're talking about. You know, because if you're going to have rules, you got to have rules for for what? And then the second side of that is, um, why do you have any rules, or why should you? Well, um, I'll, I'll answer that now that you posed it as a question. It's because you know people are not always honest and straight and true, uh, and they, they tend to get involved in shenanigans. So the idea is that a free society, a democratic society, um, voting is very important. Campaign spending is very important. It preserves the democracy, and you cannot afford to have shenanigans. I, I agree, but you know, I'd, I'd say it a little differently. I mean, I would say that the reason you should have rules for campaign uh, spending and financing is uh, so that the people the citizens have the power in a country as opposed to uh, really you can have corporations, unions, uh, organizations of some sort, or individuals that have a lot of money. Uh, simply that group or any segment of it really using their resources to pay for uh, the election outcome. You know, are you trying to have the citizens at large decide the outcome or the money decide the outcome? Well, boy, that you really touched on something there. Because the natural progression, you know, is to move toward the money, following the money, and then the money gets to determine the power. This is not, ha this is not a good thing, but it is happening in the United States, by my observation. Increasingly so. Well, it it is so everywhere in the world where there's a democracy. There's always uh, an effort by those with the money, whether it's corporations or organizations or unions or just very very wealthy individuals are trying to have, you know, a disproportionate uh, influence on the results. Um, no, it, it it's you know, perhaps at its biggest scale when you get right down to municipal elections. You know, and you're saying, well, should a real estate developer be able to put up enough money to get, uh, you know, the mayor and, and a few council members uh, so that they can then, uh, uh, you know, get extra treatment in zoning? You know, like the quid quo pro is most obvious that the... Uh, municipal level, but really when you get to the uh, federal levels, um, you know, 
you can say the um, American far right is really pushing generally, let's have less government. In particular, let's have um, less taxes. Let's have less taxes for the wealthy. Let's have less environmental rules which will affect uh, certain types of businesses where the far right is very involved. Um, and I think that that really the whole basis of democracy is to have, you know, the individual citizens having an equal say rather than any particular person or group of persons having a disproportionate influence. And, and the U.S. is sort of the worst case in the world of, of let's call them so-called democracy, because I, you know, question whether the United States is really a democracy. Mm. You know, there's so much distortion in the U.S. voting that uh, that it's not really a pure democracy, you know, like, a you know, the Greek Senate would describe what is democracy, uh, you know, but in, in the Greek stuff, of course, they didn't let the slaves vote. You know, oh, but, you know, you talk about um, different jurisdictions and you talk about rules and uh, you talk about municipalities versus provinces versus the federal, the federal government in Canada. And of course, you know, we have different rules, too, for different jurisdictions. But am I right to think that the rules you talk about for the federal government in Canada are not the same as the rules for the provincial governments and maybe even for the municipalities? That's correct. You know, the provinces decide their own rules. And we have two provinces that have very few rules. You know, Saskatchewan and Newfoundland, you know, are almost, a, you know, a free-for-all. Um, and um, <clears throat> however, I still think their elections are less influenced monetarily than are most elections in the U.S. Mm. Well, the big the big question really for the U.S., the, the one that gets under everybody's saddle uh, is the, is the PACs made possible, the anonymous PACs, if you will, um, made made possible by Citizens United and, and our esteemed Supreme Court. Um, do you have such a thing in Canada? Um, essentially, no. Importantly, when you take a a federal election in Canada, uh, you they have to call an election. There isn't an automatic date at which there will be an election. So when an election is called, there's really only a, a dribble more than a month from the day they call the election until the day the polls are closed. You know, the last election in Canada, the, you know, about a year ago, uh, I think it was 36 days during this election period. Well, during the election period, um, no corporation, union, or, or other entity can spend any money whatsoever uh, to um, influence how voters will vote. Basically, there's a preclusion. Now, you know, a corporation can make certain contributions in Canada, um, but um, 
everything in Canada has a much uh, fuller disclosure. You know, importantly, in the Citizens United um, decision and what's happened with these PACs in the U.S. is that uh, whose money it is is unknown. You know, people can guess that people like the Koch brothers and their billionaire group of friends that that uh, have extreme libertarian approach to their spending are are behind a big slug of the of the PAC money going uh, towards the Republican causes. But but really, you get a big difference. For example, uh, I saw that the runoff in Georgia a couple of years ago, um, there was nearly a billion dollars spent. Well, that's twice as much as the whole Canadian election cost. Yeah, that, that's very troublesome. And uh, I certainly uh, admire a, a month or so as a campaign period rather than four years as a campaign period in the case of the president. Well, um, well you during, can... that, during that period of time, you can spend hundreds of millions easily, and they do. Yeah, well, one of the weird distinctions in the U.S. with the Citizens United is, is as if dealing with an issue has nothing to do with the election. Well, like I think the, the issues and the parties are so obvious, a connection. Uh, and, um, you know, so, so you really need to have, um, you know, what, what are you trying to have rules for? You know, and, and if you're saying, I want to have rules so that, you know, the country is run by a government that's chosen by the people, well, then you're going to have to have sort of broadly, you've got to have, you know, define what you mean by campaign spending or financing. And then you got to bring in donation limits Secondly, spending limits, and thirdly, uh, most of all, or most importantly, transparency. Well, the key where Citizens United really muddles up the U.S. thing is the transparency side. You know, there's no transparency, so then, you know, you can have dirty tricks, and or you know, it, it's just un undemocratic. You know, it's it's um, you know one can use the idea of U.S. elections are, are worse than Canadian because of gerrymandering. Like in Canada, uh, every ten years they redraw the districts or you know the election districts, and uh, and that's similar to the U.S. But you know, in Canada they have an independent group drawing the boundaries well you you immediately can have the opposing parties uh, uh, complain like crazy about the independents uh, drew a, a bad map you know for example i saw an article about uh, uh, near the city of winnipeg and in, in, in the province of manitoba that one of the uh, uh, districts was redrawn from a uh, totally urban district to where about a third of the new district 
would be a very rural area, like a farming area. Well, if you studied the votes in the previous elections, plural, like going way back, very similar to the U.S., the more urban the population, the more liberal they're voting, and the more uh, urban uh, or rural, the rural tends to have a heavier conservative slant. You know, so suddenly you had uh, that constituency was was by uh, with the member of the federal legislature was from the uh, New Democratic Party, which is sort of like Bernie Sanders uh, level of of small L liberalism, um, whereas the rural area voted very conservative. You know, well. You know, if you have suddenly the new constituency, uh, you know, he may not be able to win that seat again. So. A couple of thoughts on what you said. First is, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders has a, has a new book out. It's called It's OK to Hate Capitalism. This is an interesting statement of where he is on the spectrum. <laughs> Uh, well, oh gee, I don't think the the Canadian party that I mentioned is is uh, anti-capitalism, but uh, but really, uh, uh, I mean, you could have anti and be against libertarianism. I think is a better way to <laughs> phrase it. Is. The, other, the other thing is, and let me try to remember exactly what this was. There's a very good frontline movie on PBS. Um, about um, about acts and citizens united and and the distinction point which I think you referred to um, is that if it's if the pack is giving um, to a cause uh, it has greater freedom uh, it has less you know it has no encumbrance at all if the if the pack is giving to a candidate uh, then there's greater uh, encumbrance. And 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 the distinction point between the one and the other is uh, is is blurred, because if if particular candidate is giving, you know, is supporting an issue, um, and the PAC can give to the issue, not the candidate, and get away with murder. Uh, and so what they do, what the PACs do, under Citizens United, and, and it's in the decision itself, um, is is they they give to the issue, not the candidate, but they're really giving. To the candidate, and there have been attacks on Citizen United. Uh, there have been some Supreme Court cases attempting to uh, reverse that that decision, unsuccessfully. So, Supreme Court has refused to reverse it and refused to clarify this distinction between giving to a cause versus giving to a candidate. So, I think the way it's come out under Citizens United is it's really terrible, because it, you know the decision defeats itself. In so many ways, even if you accept the notion, um, you know that you can have PACs and you can have the general concept of these secret funds, um, but it's worse now because of this vagary between giving to a cause and giving to a candidate. Uh, the other thing I wanted to get to with you is uh, I was really surprised to find that the government. Uh, well, let's talk first about limits. You know, there are campaign limits in Canada. There are federal limits and there are provincial limits. There are all kinds of limits, and they're not very high. This is with due, re due regard for the fact that the campaigns are shorter. Can candidates spend less money 
So the limits are smaller too. Aside from, I, I don't know how much, a, you know, a, I don't know what the maximum limit is. Can you talk about that? Uh, contribution to buy a candidate? Like, yeah. like the individuals can contribute $1,700 uh, to a campaign. Uh, a individual candidate. They could also spend another $1,700 to that party. Now, you'd say, well, what about if uh, spending the money for the candidate next door? You know, and the one in the next province, you know, and, you know, the Canadian stuff uh, varies whether you're talking during the election period or money that is to be spent during the election period or whether it's for the years in between. So we have a mixed bag in it, and it, you know, the federal is, uh, you know, fairly well established, um, where uh, individuals cannot contribute, you know, uh, money during an election period to any candidate other than the one, the jurisdiction in which they live, or where they're voting, you know, you and. Um, you know, we have a lot of limits, but one of the odd items is is the federal government itself contributes to the parties. I was going to ask you about this is the reimbursement system. Right. And and also when an individual makes a contribution, uh, let's say if I give uh, my $1,700 to my uh, local candidate in my riding or my district, um, that $1,700 I get as a tax credit, you know, that's as if that was almost like taxes I paid. When when you fill in a return, it's almost like I'd paid taxes. So instead of the taxes, I gave the money to my local candidate. You know, it's, it's pretty close to that in terms of tax uh, advantage. <clears throat> so, you know, we're trying to get, you know, the, the public purse supports the political system uh, in order to limit uh, what the wealthy can do. You know, because if you eliminate the wealthy as contributors, you really aren't going to get much money. You know, most people are not uh, inclined to dig in their pocket to give uh, money for a political contribution. Like I could remember, you know, when I was in uh, a little over 30 years old, uh, back in the early 1970s, and there was a federal election called, and, uh, and you know, the main candidate asked my brother to be, you know, this campaign chairman, and he says, well, he can't quite do that because our business needs him, but he can, he can certainly help. Well, you know, about two hours after that election was called, uh, at, at the time we were in the construction business, uh, one, we had arranged with a with a friend who had a property on a very busy corner that uh, one of our construction trailers had rolled up and was established on that corner. And a few hours later, it was equipped with telephones and, and uh, you know, let's call it uh, word processing equipment. Back then it was even before you had computers with things like, like Word and Excel. 
And, and uh, you know, a couple of our employees uh, suddenly got, uh, you know, a month off with pay. And they worked in this campaign office. You know, well, you'd call that, you know, was that sneaky getting around anything? Uh, you know, at the time, I'd never heard of financing or spending rules or limits. I don't know that there were any at the time. That was just my brother's way of saying, well, we've got a few bucks here. We can help get this thing going. You know, and 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 I think when you when you look to the future of elections where you don't have newspapers, how do you how do you find out anything about your candidate? You know, where, where George Soros kind of underlines that idea, be nice to to have a proper way to find out. And you're going to have a much, much bigger emphasis on the local door knocking, campaigning, signs and local pamphlets, because how the heck could a person find out who's running, especially in a municipal election? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've seen uh, we've seen a number of these uh, elections around the country where a given candidate espouses a certain public policy view. OK, and, and then that candidate is elected. And then that candidate tells you, you know, I, I was only kidding. My my public policy view is different. And what are you going to do about it? Too bad for you. But if you could follow the money, you would know that somebody is, you know, somebody owns him. Somebody is calling the shots about his public policy view. If you cannot find out who is contributing to him, you won't know his real public policy views, his real sensibilities. You know, and furthermore, you could, you know, gosh, with some of these packs, the money could be coming from anywhere, and uh, and from the worst, the worst public policy oracles in the country, and and so, um, and there's no, as you say, there's no way to find out what this candidate is really like. You have to know the money. I agree with you fully, and you know, therefore. The United States is less democratic than Canada and most of Western Europe. Yeah. Because well, I wanted, to ask, just... you, I wanted to ask you about this thing I stumbled into about the, the reimbursements. I mentioned that in passing a little while ago. Is where if you follow the rules in Canada, um, and you don't, you know, you haven't stubbed your toe on any of them, then the government will reimburse you. It was substantial percentage of your expenses in the campaign. I, f I find that extraordinary. So the candidate actually gets money from the government after the election, if he keeps his nose clean during the election. And we don't have anything like that here. Um, and, and it seems to me that it supports the view, which is my view, that we can learn a lot from Canada, um, that, that Canada understands the issues because it looks south across the border and it sees all the travail we have here. And it says, we can do better. Uh, we can protect the democracy better. So we learn how you could you know, get in trouble in the U.S. and we improve the system in Canada and we make it better. It, uh, do people think about this or is just it just happens? Uh, I don't think that the public thinks about it much at all. Really, you know, it has, you know, the system in Canada has really been generated by the politicians themselves Sure. over time. I mean, that that's really where it comes from. Now, if you have, uh, you know, 
what I would call a pretty um, public-minded politician uh, without, you know, bad influence. You know, I think of like Joe Biden as pretty clean um, as opposed to, you know, there's lots of others just seem to swing with where the money is. Uh, you know, um, they can they can make suggestions and create, you know, fair principles, but that's different than getting it through. You know, how do you get it through? Now, in many ways, the British political system, which is similar to Canada, is is easier to get a lot of things through because our, our federal parliament, you know, we really we do have a Senate. But the Senate is just an advisory body. Really, it 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 very, very rarely will stop a piece of legislation. You know, they if you were a, a the governor of a state, the Canadian equivalent is like the premier of a province. Well, if you were the ex-premier of the province, they will probably appoint you to the Senate, the federal. You know, you get that kind of high quality, you know, the very wealthy businessman that retired that, uh, you know, was a do-gooder, lots of charitable contributions might be a, a good choice as a senator. You know, so the Senate is sort of a, a sober second thought. You know, so if they stop something, they simply say, we'd like you guys to reconsider this thing because... You know, and then they step aside and the House of Commons or the Congress and, uh, you know, redoes a bill. Um, but um, but Canada's is far from perfect. Uh, you know, all of the um, the riots right now, or let's call it demonstrations in Israel about what Netanyahu is doing. Well, the legislation that he's trying to put in is almost a carbon copy of what we have in Canada now. Wow. You see, we have, you know, a Bill of Rights, which probably looks uh, much better than the American Bill of Rights, because we started off with a copy of the American Bill of Rights and anybody else's, and we were Johnny-come-lately as a country and so, you know, we take all the good points and put it in. But then we put one clause at the front, and, and we call it the notwithstanding clause. And it kind of says, notwithstanding the right of the provincial government or the federal government to create a law that uh, does what they feel like, these are your rights. You know, and, and so... You know, for example, in the province of Quebec, like this had never been used before till a couple of years or, you know, three or four years ago. Well, in the province of Quebec, they decided that uh, um, they would bring in a, a law using the notwithstanding clause, you know, where obviously the Bill of Rights would have freedom of religion, freedom of, of blah, blah, blah. Well, their notwithstanding clause was uh, you cannot work for the provincial government if you if you wear any kind of religious symbol that can identify your religion. You know, so if you think of a, a Jewish yarmulke, a 
but the real target was the Muslim, uh, you know, uh, I forgot what you call it, a hijab or something, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and the Sikhs, you know, where they have a different type of turban. You know, and those were those are in a sense the three targets. Now, of course, you know, Quebec was predominantly Catholic uh, until we had tons of immigration of non-white Caucasians, um, and uh, they were nearly all Catholic in in Quebec. You know, so of course, if you've got your Catholic cross, well, you can just tighten up your. <laughs> Color a little bit and you can't see it, well, that'd be okay. You know, but it was discriminatory. And, and even though lots of Canadians, especially anywhere from other than Quebec, complained that this was unreasonable, well, it only took another year before the province of Ontario decided they would use the notwithstanding clause to, to fight some, you know, provincial government union that wanted to dis, you know, Let's call it like a nurses want to get a pay increase, or the garbage collectors want to get a pay oh, increase. What a terrible result, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that you know, I I think the objections in Israel are right, but that's a little off the the voting. But but where you got to have the rules, like how who makes the rules, and what exceptions can there be, and how do you enforce them, and what are the penalties? for campaign spending and financing. I wanted to ask you, Ken, uh, about um, you know the penalties. How serious are the penalties and how serious is the prosecution uh, of, you know, uh, of the penalties, the violations? And, and do you read about scandals uh, you know, in the paper? Um, is, is, you know, in the US, we have plenty of them, uh, sometimes real and sometimes made up and fabricated in every way. Um, but I wonder how that works in Canada. Uh, the first thing is um, Canadians are far more inclined than Americans to not cheat, you know, to, to actually follow the rules. But, uh, you know, it won't take long for Canada to catch up if the status quo in Canada continues where um, it's it's much like what I would call the like in uh, lawyers. Since you're you're a professional lawyer, you know there's a bar association. So if you do something that's improper and somebody complains, you know the bar association makes a big fuss about you know blah blah blah. But really, really, they just say you know Jay, be a be a good boy in the future. You know they're they're sort of not really the the teeth there it, it's sort of a self-protective system and in a lot of ways that is the status quo in canada when there is a formal complaint that uh you know and i'll use as an example of one i read about was um you know some um <clears throat> corporation wanted a particular cause and so they had all of their executives all made the the company obviously financed it around the back, but but all of the um, uh, executives, all the executives' wives, and all of their children all made the maximum donations 
to you know the same group of candidates you know and and so you'd say well gee isn't that cheating or getting around the limits you know or that the corporations are really doing it you know and so you have here you know the complaints made but the penalty you know the enforcement is really pretty soft that's the white collar thing you know there was a a piece uh, an opinion piece in the times or the post uh, a day or two ago said you know uh, Trump may be guilty of various things, but at the end of the day, and maybe it's because he's a former president, maybe not, um, it's a white-collar crime. And white-collar crime, people don't feel the same way about white-collar crimes. And so of campaign financing, they don't feel the same way about camp. Even if, you know, you, you, you accept the fact that the officials themselves, the legislators, people holding public office are... In, not inclined to make a stiff penalty in the first place. Uh, it's not likely that anybody's going to force the penalty thinking it's just a white-collar crime, doesn't raise to the same level. And the problem there is you get re repetition. They come and do it again, and all the people watching them do it again. When you don't punish white-collar crime, it happens again and again. It gets worse. It gets, you know, it's, it turns arrogant is what happens. Um, we have those issues here, and I and I wonder, you know, if people feel the same way in Canada, uh, they're not going to get excited about white collar crime. Well, I think it's it's very similar to the U.S. is is a white collar crime is less serious than than a physical crime. You know that. Um, however. Uh, you know, I personally happen to think white collar crimes are worse than, you know, an assault or something of that sort. Um, well, they affect the society in general. They could affect millions and millions of people. Yeah. Well, example, uh, I, recent newscasts concerning the um, uh, the Fox network um, where they were very aware of the the fact that those Dominion voting machines were quite okay and there was nothing wrong with them. They were busy promoting that uh, they were a key, re you know, they were all at fault. They were a cheating mechanism that therefore the election was stolen and they were pushing that. And that contributes to things like the uh, January 6th mess in the United States. Um, I tend to think that, uh, you know, uh, those um, uh, Fox hosts uh, ought to be put in jail for 20 years or more. I mean, that's yeah. just my opinion. No, I, I, would, I would agree that, with you. You know, what, what's, what's the charge for, uh, what's the worst amount of penalty that anybody uh, who went to January 6th and, and, and beat a, a uh, police officer to death. Uh, what did they get in penalty? The uh, Fox host should get more. Mm -hmm. Like that. That's my personal opinion. Well, they're undermining the democracy. They're undermining the society. Now, yeah. How serious is that? You know, it, it affects everyone. But let me let me go to one other thing. You know, I'm I'm operating as I often do, and it, it, maybe it's because I know you so long is that, that Canada has a, as you said, people follow the rules, 
mostly, and and they don't get in trouble mostly. And um, and this system that you are describing, the campaign finance system, um, it learns from the troubles that happen elsewhere, like in the United States, and it does better. It adopts better rules and enforces the rules in in such a way so that this is my assumption so that it works better. Would you agree with that? Would you say that all of those things considered, the Canadian campaign financing system works better? Yes. And it's very similar to the Australia, New Zealand, and, and United Kingdom. You know, they, they have a lot of similar methods. I don't, I think, you know, coming back to basics, a, a certain portion of people are basically honest. It doesn't matter what happens, they will be honest. There's a slug of people who are only as honest as they have to be, and a portion that are basically dishonest. I think that Canadians are born with that same proportion as Americans, or Brits, or Australian, Aussies. However, in Canada, somehow the education or upbringing is such that the pressure, like if you're saying only be as honest as you have to be, but the pressure eliminates those people from being dishonest. You know, really, it, it, there tends to be, you know, a, a pressure. In a, and I think that that applies generally. Now, maybe I'm biased because I've was born and raised in Canada, but I, you know, have spent, you know, 10 years of my life, adult life, really living in the United States. Uh, and so, you know, I have my own unbiased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me go from that question to the last question I have for you. Let's assume that it is working better in Canada and other commonwealths or former Commonwealth countries. Um, well, I, I wouldn't go so broadly as Commonwealth. You know, like the Commonwealth includes places like Jamaica or did. Okay, know, okay. And, 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 okay, you got you got to limit it to the oh, so New New Zealand, Australia. Th those would be my primary. Britain itself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the question the question is, when we here in the United States look. And assume that we have a rational Congress, which is not a good assumption right now, but assume for a moment that we had a rational Congress uh, who wanted to preserve democracy, who wanted to preserve, preserve free and fair voting, who wanted to preserve the system in general. What could we learn from Canada? What could we take away from Canada to make a better system here? And I don't have to ask you about Citizens United, because I know that would be top of the list. We should strike Citizens United tomorrow morning. Um, but what else? Well, you you basically need in the in the political uh, discussion, you know, the real basics where we started this program of um, if you're going to have campaign spending rules and and financing rules, you have to say why do we have them. Why should we? Well, if you can establish first that the citizens should be able to decide, not you know the people with the money, corporations, unions, 
miscellaneous groups, very wealthy individuals like the Koch brothers, they should not be able to buy the end, the election result. Well, unless you get agreement on that, you know, you, you really can't get too far. Well, if you, you know, you have to sort of establish the real principles first. Do you want a pure, good democracy, you know, or not? You know, and so far, it looks very clear that uh, a huge portion of the United States does not want that at all. I mean, you, you can start with a whole bunch of variety of groups as to why they get there. But but then when you take one group, maybe, you know, very, very white only, you know, white supremacy. So therefore, you know, that will create a, a, a very small portion of the U.S. Uh, population would say that's absolute adamant. We don't want our country to be taken over by anybody. It's got to be a, a an us only. You know, well, the next little group, you know, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, anti um, uh, equality of income tax or something, you know, that that the wealthy person should not pay any more tax as a percentage of his income as a little guy. Well, well, gee, if if they can cross connect with the guy who's the white supremacist, you know, then pretty soon you get a bigger group, you know, and and if those small groups can be can each violate common sense rules, you know, then uh, you know you can collectively get so you just can't get a unanimous opinion on something that would be outright common sense. I mean, the U.S. can't even get into gun control. You know, so if you're using, how could you possibly have a sophisticated, educated society be stupid? And you say, well, explain to me how the U.S. can't eliminate guns. You know, and, and you'd say, well, that's a little more complicated and it takes a whole bunch uh -huh. of subgroups, sub each with, un, you know, different opinions to get to a conclusion that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, where you got to start to real basics if you're going to correct the voting system and get rid of Citizens United. It's going to take some pretty powerful politicians to hammer things along yep absolutely absolutely right and, that, and that's the lesson it's it's not just the rules themselves it's the attitude around the rules it's the attitude that makes the rules it's the fundamental notion that binds the country together that's what we have to look at after that it all falls in place uh dr ken rogers a retired canadian businessman helping us understand what happens in canada uh, what the differences are, and what we can learn from Canada. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jay. I hope my unbiased opinion <laughs> has not offended too many people. But You've made full disclosure. We appreciate that. Thank you, Ken. <laughs>
Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.